If one of the hardest things to figure out these days is what to watch next, first of all, congrats. Second of all, you should check out HBO Max. Discover something new to watch on HBO Max like Lovecraft Country, the new HBO series from Jordan Peele, Misha Green, and J.J. Abrams that's got everyone buzzing. Plus, HBO Max is the only place you'll find new binge-worthy Max originals like Selena Gomez's new cooking show. You heard that right. Selena Gomez's Learning to Cook, from some of the world's best chefs, no less. Find your next favorite all in one place on HBO Max. Start streaming today. Download the app or visit hbomax.com to start your free trial. This episode is brought to you by U.S. Cellular. Let's talk about your cell phone carrier. When you think about your plan, does what you're getting feel fair? When it comes to staying connected, don't settle. When you switch to U.S. Cellular, not only do you upgrade to fair, you're also joining a reliable network you can trust to have your back. No hidden requirements, no activation fees. Now that's fair. Learn more at uscellular.com. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, editor-at-large of Recode. You may know me as the person who basically got Dara Kosrashahi his job, but in my spare time, I'm just a reporter and you're listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about power change and the people you need to know. We're part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today in the red chair is, in fact, Dara Kosrashahi. I did not get him his job. He's the CEO of Uber. He's been in that role for almost three years. I cannot believe it. After previously serving as CEO of Expedia, so there's a lot we can talk about right now. Um, from his various experiences. I wanted to have him on the show to talk about the ways Uber is being changed by the COVID-19 outbreak. Over the past few weeks, it laid off more than 6,000 workers and has been putting new rules in place for its riders and drivers. And it's one of the companies that has been most challenged by the, this uh, crisis in Silicon Valley, uh, not across the country, obviously, there's lots more. But Dara, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So let's start. If I interviewed Brian Chesky last night, I'm sort of in my the CEOs that actually have a lot of work to do uh, mode right now this week. Um, and of course, he is Airbnb, which is very analog. And so is your business. Um, talk a little bit about your experience over the uh, over the past, I guess, 90 days. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, our business is most definitely has a very strong virtual component, but an even stronger physical component. We're a very local uh, business. Uh, and especially our rides business, you know, moves when cities moves and when cities don't move, uh, it doesn't move. Uh, so we did see a very, very significant decrease in our rides volume. Uh, we talked about it a bit in our in our um, uh, investor call. Ride volumes were down uh, over 80 percent on a global basis. Uh, it's a pretty tough hit for everybody. Um, first amongst them, our drivers who didn't have earnings opportunities. Uh, the business is coming back a little bit, but it's coming back off of a pretty low floor. And I think as the world opens up again, our business will come back. How that happens, what that looks like, et cetera, uh, remains to be seen. We've got a delivery business, Uber Eats, which is doing really, really well. Uh, but the rides business, which is a big profit generator, has taken a hit and it will come back. But, uh, you know, the timing and the shape of that is uncertain. Let's talk about sort of how, when I'm just curious, actually, who are the 20% who are taking rides? That's kind of interesting. Where is that happening? I think there there are people who we need, healthcare workers um, going and getting the job done. I think there are a lot of folks on the front lines. We have tried to help them out um, and we have, you know, contributed 10 million rides and, and meals for these folks. But life goes on. Life is still going on in these cities. And it is these essential workers who are who are keeping the heartbeat as the patient gets better. All right, let's go through. The, I went through with Brian sort of when he became aware that it was a problem. Oddly enough, um, he had uh, he had, he had sort of gotten flagged to it early because they have business in China and had seen that fall off and were quite worried. And then it it went to Europe and then to the U.S. So they sort of it, it sort of went around the globe. You have some exposure internationally, uh, so you would have that experience. But they have, especially in China, where, where you're not operating. Talk a little bit about how it rolled out for you all. We saw it, I think it was in February or March in Hong Kong uh, early on, obviously to Hong Kong. We don't have a business in China. We've got investment in Didi who does. Uh, but we really saw the first signal in Hong Kong and it had hit that business. Hong Kong, my guess is at the time, went from growing very, very quickly to being down about 60 percent. Uh, and 
we watched it as it expanded Hong Kong, Taiwan, some of the other uh, APAC markets. And in March, it really became a real thing. Uh, and early March, we were actually going to have a leadership team meeting, get together to talk strategy. And we said, uh, we're not going to talk strategy. We have to organize um, a strike force uh, as it relates to COVID. First order of business was to make sure that our service was safe, that our drivers were safe, et cetera. Uh, but then we had to organize the business along all the lines to understand what was happening and then and then react to it. All right. Well, you, so you had you were watching Didi. You were talking to Didi about what was happening to them. Not really. Not really. We don't have uh, we don't have a daily call it relationship with, with Didi. It's really through the lens of Hong Kong and Taiwan, some of our other APAC markets. And it then expanded from there very, very quickly. As you know, it was it was weeks. What were the reports people were saying is that just just rides off. They were just saying people aren't doing it. Or what was the message you were getting? Yeah, the city, the, um, cities were closing down. People were becoming more and more worried about uh, this becoming a real issue. And uh, for us, the biggest issue was, you know, we're, we're a network business uh, and we get people together, right? You've got a driver and a rider in the same car. And the biggest issue for us was, how do we make sure that a driver who, for one reason or the other, is feeling sick does not feel the need uh, to work? Because then we could be right a, a, a part of, of this issue. So almost immediately, we went out and put a policy in place where drivers who were feeling sick due to COVID, et cetera, they could stay home and they could keep earning. And so that we removed that issue of Hey, I need to keep earning, so I'm going to take risk not only for myself but but for others. That was order number one, uh, and then we started going. It's it, it really was getting health experts, country by country, government by government, because we're very very local business, and just being on the ground receptive, uh, and frankly being part of the solution and not part of the problem. All right, so getting people people working, working is when how they make money and getting in the cars and doing as many rides as possible. At the beginning, and I want to talk about what you're doing now in a second, but how would you imagine you could monitor that in any way? You're just taking away an economic incentive to do it, to, to, to be in a dangerous position. Exactly. It's impossible for us to monitor health, but we wanted to make sure that we communicated very quickly and very directly to our driver base uh, first, and now with our rider base too. If you open up the app, we say, hey, make sure you know you need to go where you're going, make sure that you're staying safe, et cetera. It really was making sure that we're providing a safe service first. That was the focus. And, and there's imperfection there because we don't know who's healthy or unhealthy. So for us, it was getting health advisors in every single government as far as what is deemed to be healthy, and then making sure that we're putting the incentives in place for our marketplace to be a healthy kind of safe marketplace. And by the way, that work continues today. What about from the uh, the passenger side? How quickly did you do you require masks and 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 what did you sort of start to tell? Besides communicating on the app, being worried about the safety of the drivers. Yeah, we have been uh, trying to acquire masks and PPE equipment for some period of time. As you can imagine, there's just been this enormous demand yeah, for correct. them, and we've had a team that is, and and it's not just acquiring them, it's acquiring them at big scale and then getting them to people, you know, getting them to people is actually pretty uh, difficult. We've committed like $50 million to date on this. Uh, we purchased nearly 30 million masks. I think we have gone in deeper here than anyone else. Uh, we're buying uh, PPE kind of cleaning it, equipment and supplies, and we're getting it either to driver homes or we have it available in Greenlight hubs where drivers can come and, and pick it up. And we have now a feature in the app that we're rolling out now we need to test where drivers essentially take a selfie to show that they are wearing a mask. So we are requiring that drivers wear a mask and we, we double check it. And we are advising riders very strongly, wash your hands, wear a mask, et cetera, so that you have both parties there. But you're not requiring them. You don't think you should be requiring don't get in this car unless it, you have a mask? It really it really depends on the local health practices. You know, we, we don't want to be mm -hmm. health experts, et cetera. Um, expectations are different country to country to country. We have taken the stand 
that as drivers, drivers should and should wear masks and we're rolling out tech to guarantee it. We very, very strongly encourage riders to wear masks. If a driver doesn't feel comfortable with a rider who is not wearing a mask, that driver can cancel and doesn't suffer any kind of economic repercussions. So far, we've seen behavior has been has been good, has been positive here. So people understand. Uh, and, you know, we want to be a part of the solution and we're trying to be as communicative as possible. And, and I do think we've taken the lead here in the industry, like consistently. So let's talk a little bit about the strike force itself. Here you were, you were last time you were interviewed, I think it was by Andrew Ross Sorkin. You know, we, we you and I asked you a question about what you thought about the core business of driving. And you said this is going to be the engine that grows everything. Well, that drops off by that much. What do you talk about what you do when you're faced with that? Because you were trying to sort of equalize these things, get it back into shape. And I know you were doing a lot of other initiatives. We'll talk about it. But what happens when your core, it's sort of like Google can't search anymore. Or, you know, this was the business that wrote everything else, you know, was carried by. Yeah, listen, our, our rides business is our profit generator. I think near term is going to continue to be our profit generator once the once the business gets going again and and we see good signs, but it ain't there. And listen, first order of business for us was make sure that the service is safe, get supplies out, make sure we have the right health experts, et cetera. So the first thing was not about the profitability of the service, but it was about the safety of the service. And we have a strike force who really is thinking and acting on the ground. Once we secure that and only like after we secure that, we started thinking about, look, what do we do? And uh, first order of business for us was, hey, take down any costs, marketing costs, variable costs, et cetera. Take down costs that aren't structural and uh, try to be as disciplined on the cost side as we can be with some time and understanding what was happening with the markets and just how quickly the business dropped down. Uh, we had to take action on the cost side, and that includes part-time employees. It includes full-time employees. We made really significant and painful cuts uh, over the past three to four weeks. We made sure that we treated our employees super, super well in terms of healthcare um, benefits, et cetera. Uh, but we had to take some painful cuts because the company has to be here two years from now, five years from now, et cetera. Uh, and when your business takes that kind of a hit, especially your profit generator, you've got to adjust. So we adjusted it. it it's not something we wanted to do. I'd love, I think a lot of people know, how did you go, a lot of, especially other people who are in business, especially stars, how did you go about deciding what was, you know, I t I've talked to a lot of people and they said, our board sat and we went through every single expense item and said no. And it, some people see it as an opportunity to sort of get rid of stuff that was working or, or things like that. How, what was your approach to it? it because like Brian had 110 projects that were going on at Airbnb and he cut 70 of them, even though the ones he liked, he thought they were promising, um, like their plane program, their uh, their content program, a lot of their Lux program, although that's not gone completely. How did you look at it? What was your thinking around well, we it? We certainly talked to the board in terms of guidance from them, what they see uh, in the world, how other companies are reacting. You always want context and you want kind of the wisdom that a board gives you. Uh, and, and we concluded that significant cuts in the order of, you know, call 25% were needed in order to get to not a break-even level in these circumstances, but an appropriate level based on what we think likely uh, outcomes are. That's an average, but that consists of our killing um, and discontinuing some projects that were nice to have our making some moves like we uh, we have a business that that we frankly really love our jump business micro mobility bikes merging it with Lime who was a company that we'd invested in but a competitor of sorts um, you know in difficult times consolidation makes sense and so we kind of created a bigger entity but we also reduced our cost base and then there are some other projects and many of them that we discontinued so that was third and then fourth is we did take down, you know, costs in parts of the business. And it's up to my team then to decide what to adjust and what not to adjust. Uh, and, and they're doing that. So it's a combination of 100% stoppage of some work and then just taking down the cost base because the effect on the business was that big. Well, I want to talk about jump separately, but talk about some of the projects you were working on that you thought had promise. I mean, freight was one of the ones you were talking about. What 
what happens? What does it stop or it just gets put in the freezer or what's the... Freight, for example, continues for us going forward. And we will, we believe, listen, the logistics business is going to be here to stay. Uh, we are continuing to invest in freight. But for example, we had very ambitious uh, plans as it relates to uh, credit cards and building, call it an Uber bank, if you want to call that, financial services for uh, especially our drivers, you know, less fortunate people um, aren't particularly well banked, right? Uh, and Uber is to some extent a gateway into digital earnings, et cetera. When you earn on Uber, you can almost instantly take your money out. Uh, we were building uh, essentially services, uh, financial services mm -hmm. for our drivers. That's something that either we're going to partner up with or it's a project that we are going to delay and we'll decide it two, three years from now whether we take that up or not. Uh, those are the mm -hmm. kinds of projects where we said, you know what, it's a great ambitious plan. It's just not a great ambitious plan for today. What about autonomous cars? You've been, you know, you've been struggling with that. We got an accident before you had to deal with that. How do you look at that now? Yeah, I think on autonomous, uh, the accident was was tragic. Uh, I think that the team has come together to rebuild from that accident uh, and and rebase that business, so to speak. I think that autonomous, again, that's a technology that is going to last going forward. The good news there is that we funded that uh, that team. Yeah, Toyota, Denso, SoftBank come in with a billion dollars. So that part of the business is funded going forward. But again, in this kind of environment, you've got to be creative. So are we going to continue to bet in, into autonomous? Absolutely. But we'll look to partner up increasingly. We'll look to bring other players in who can kind of complement our research efforts with capital, et cetera. Right. Which you wanted to do yourself. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was it, it was something that we had started previously that we've essentially accelerated going uh, going forward. And then, you know, services like Uberpool, we stopped Uberpool um, because we didn't think it was necessarily safe. Uh, and we will revisit that service. It's a really important service in, in terms of helping the environment. It's a lower cost transportation alternative. So we do think it's good for society. It's just something that we will reboot, so to speak, when it's safe. And that really depends country by country, and it depends on health advisory. So there's absolutely like, is there a pool going forward? There is. We just have to redefine it and make sure it's safe and then reboot that that kind of a project or a service. All right. Talk a little bit about jump, because that was a pretty confident thing to do before um, before in the midst of this. You're making it's not a, it's a consolidation move and to save money, but it's also we believe in this kind of thing. Well, yeah, talk to me about the thinking behind that. I think I think that you've got to be able to take bold action during crises, right? And we absolutely believe in micromobility. It's it's a great way to get around in cities. It's another method of transportation. It's eco-friendly. It's traffic friendly. So we believe in the category, and there was an opportunity to consolidate, and we got to we're big believers in that in that Lime uh, management team. Uh, Wayne, who's a CEO, used to work for me personally, so he's he's just terrific. And a company like Uber with a brand that we have, you know, we know we're going to be here two to three years from now. Um, it's my job as CEO to secure that future, but that doesn't mean taking bets. And we still wanted to take a bet on micromobility. We wanted to take a uh, bet on the, the Lime team. And we just think this is a better combination going forward. So this is scooters and bikes together, this idea, yes. not the last mile kind of stuff that you were that we had talked about previously. This is, scooter, this and is scooters and bikes. Are, you are still confident in this business and away from having to clean them because eventually that won't be as big a deal. Yeah. But what is the challenge you face there? I mean, obviously, these valuations were quite large and they're coming down rather significantly. What, from your perspective, is the challenge you see there? I think the biggest challenge in that business is that it truly is a local scale business. We can, when you look at the rideshare, the cost envelope, kind of the cost structure of rideshare is pretty variable, right? It's we can take marketing costs down. If a driver isn't driving, then we as a company uh, or the rider isn't paying that driver. So it's a pretty variable cost base. And our rides business can still be profitable as a segment even with volumes being down 50%, for example. So it, it is 
as a business model, it's actually a very attractive business model. We talked about two thirds of our costs being variable, one third of our costs being fixed. If you look at uh, micromobility, it's probably reversed, which is you actually need to have you have very to buy high, the scooters. Yeah, you got to buy the scooters. And then, by the way, you need a high Maintain utilization them. of those of those scooters. You need multiple rides per uh, per day on those scooters. You have a warehouse to uh, to repair them, et cetera. So you have a fleet, and the cost of upkeep of that fleet, et cetera, is fixed. So you actually need scale within a city in order for that business model to work, which is why we thought, you know what, consolidating these two players together, Uber can bring volume to Lime. Lime uh, has its own volume as well, structurally puts us in a position to win and advances the business in terms of profitability. And, you know, during hard times, consolidation happens and we want it to be a consolidator here. All right. We're going to talk about consolidation in the delivery business, which some people are worried about, Uber and the Grubhub deal. When we get back, we're here with Dara Khosrowshahi. He's the CEO of Uber. And we'll be back after this. Searching for what to stream next? HBO Max is where all of HBO meets the greatest collection of movies, shows, and Max originals for everyone in the family. Discover something fresh to watch with new HBO series like Lovecraft Country from Jordan Peele, Misha Green, and J.J. Abrams, or The Undoing, starring Nicole Kidman and Hugh Grant. You can also jump into a new Max original like Selena Gomez's new cooking show, Selena and Chef, or The Flight Attendant, a dark new comedic thriller starring Kaylee Cuoco. Ridley Scott's even producing a new series called Raised by Wolves. Whether you want to rewatch classic favorites or finally get into that show your friends have recommended a thousand times, HBO Max has something for everyone. Start streaming today and find your next favorite. Download the app or visit hbomax.com to start your free trial. If you're an early adopter, you get that your devices and your connections need to be fast and help make your life better. But you might be forgetting one thing. Tech should be fair, too. Fairness isn't a new idea but it is to wireless. That's where U.S. Cellular comes in. At U.S. Cellular, people come first. And that means a fast, reliable connection with no hidden requirements and no activation fees. They'll even pay you back for unused data. When you upgrade to U.S. Cellular, you upgrade to FAIR. Learn more at uscellular.com. We're here with Dara Khosrowshahi. He's the CEO of Uber. He just uh, left a perfect opening to consolidation. Um, you had made another pretty aggressive move, which is talking to Grubhub. Can you give us all the details of that right now, please? <laughs> uh, thank you very much uh, for that introduction. Uh, the answer here is no. Uh, these are rumored discussions, and we're not going to comment on on rumored discussions. You know, for us, delivery, food delivery is a big category. We talked last time when we, when we talked about focusing and we have decided to, hey, let's focus on mobility, which is getting people from point A to B. And we really want to focus on delivery as well. And it's food delivery. We bought a company called Corner Shop. We haven't closed on that deal yet, but it's in the grocery business. And food delivery and grocery are accelerating hugely. Like those businesses are are growing at incredible rates. Our businesses is accelerating so that is an attractive segment in general. We're going to keep investing organically in that segment and inorganically, if there are opportunities out there, we're absolutely going to take a look at them. Well, I think one of the concerns is if you if you were buying, if you were in talks with Grubhub, which you obviously are, um, and you have DoorDash as the other competitor, between you, you have not, close to 90% of the market, if that was the merger that you chose to do. I, I can't imagine right now, there's a lot of uh, people worried about consolidation during coronavirus in terms of it may be good for businesses, but it might not be good for businesses in the long run. Can you talk to this idea of owning that much of a market share between two companies, if that was say to happen hypothetically? Yeah, again, I, I, I don't want to talk uh, specifics. I do think that this market is much broader than some people are presenting it to be, right? Uh, restaurant okay. uh, restaurants deliver directly, Domino's, et cetera, delivers directly, uh, grocery is delivered directly, including hot food, et cetera. So I think that I would disagree with the definition of market. This market just got bigger. Like we're getting into grocery as well. Uh, both organically and inorganically. So I just think that this delivery of food and essentials to homes is an enormous market, and I don't see anyone or any two having 90% of that market. It's way too big a market 
there are way too uh, many players getting in. So you're putting yourself in the same bucket as, say, an Amazon, which is doing, you know, its delivery services, its grocery delivery. So you yeah, don't listen, put them Amazon, all as a Am- whole. Amazon, yeah, Amazon invested in in one of our competitors in, in Europe, right? So this is this is an area that will undoubtedly be addressed both by restaurants, direct big restaurants, small restaurants, et cetera, and anyone who's in the grocery business is going to look at this. And anyone who's in the food delivery business is going to look at grocery marketplace, et cetera. So it's just a much, much bigger market than just food. Uh, and the market That's just got accelerated. The market got hugely accelerated mm-hmm. by COVID, et cetera. Like there's an onrush of new consumers who are looking at these services. So it's going to attract a lot of capital. Um, we're very clear about that. We are one of the few players that has a true global presence and we're building scale in the business. We love the management team and, and we love the category, but the category is, it ain't just food. It's much bigger than that. So do you expect uh, pushback if you move forward with something like this? Are you, because right, there is a mood around this idea. You know, you had AOC and Elizabeth Warren doing a no consolidation bill during the crisis. There's obviously been a mood, not just from the left, but from, from the Democrats, but from the Republicans on this issue, Josh Hawley and others. How, how do you look at that scene when you're talking about the idea that a lot of these companies have to like to strengthen, have to be together? Besides that, it's a lot bigger. Are, are you concerned with their concern? I think we always have to be concerned with their concern um, because these are important people that, that you have to listen to. Right. Like we, we've been we have been a highly regulated and locally regulated business for a long time and will continue to be. Uh, and and I think. Listen, if the concern comes from uh, restaurant partners, uh, making sure that restaurant, uh, re- the restaurant business is sustainable and they can grow. If the concern comes from couriers getting paid, that's a great concern. If it's from uh, people being able to afford this, these are all, uh, you know, people being uh, food being affordable and available to, to everybody. We are aligned in that direction. And, and the thing is, no one's really making money in this business. Right. So the business itself has to be sustainable and it has to be sustainable in a way that works for restaurants. Uh, it works for couriers. It works for people who are ordering the food and it works for business as well. So things are going to change and we'll definitely listen to you know, the opinions of, of regulators. So talk about what has to change is because besides the regulators worrying about consolidation, you have restaurant owners in distress right now in terrible distress. And obviously they've been complaining before this about the fees that all these delivery service charge. How would you answer their concern about they're like, we're getting nothing from, you know, we're and there are big chains like Domino's, but most most restaurants are small and they don't have the ability to get together and fight you all. Like in terms of technology, they don't have the ability to organize it in the same way. How do you answer that, say the worry of restaurant owners who right now are really in probably the one of the worst shop owners and retailers in general are really going to have been taking on the chin here. Yeah. I I think, listen, those um, it's a industry that has been hit really hard. And these are people who built their lives around, you know, a a great business uh, and and they are being hurt. And and I guess what, what I say is it's easy to generalize, but as far as Uber goes, just take a look at what we're doing. First of all, in our business, in our food business, what we charge a restaurant includes kind of the, the cost of running the business, but also paying our couriers. So after you actually net out how much we pay our couriers, we make 12% in this business, right? So for a sale of $100, we make 12 bucks on average, and we're a publicly reported company, so like it's out there. That's a fact. Our goal over the long term is to get the 12% to 15%. So, of you know, let's get $12 to, to $15. A lot of that is actually a geographic mix as well. So to, for us to make $15 off of a $100 bill is not these horror stories that, that you hear from others. And I do think that this is, this is what happens when businesses are, young businesses grow, right? Like there are certain practices that don't make sense. I know from my rights days. Like I saw certain practices in rideshare, like employees were, you know, in the olden days, getting into cars and recruiting drivers or scraping, et cetera. We stopped that. Like if, if you're going to grow, you're going to be a leading brand. You're going to have consumers trust you, or you're going to have riders trust you. You actually have to start doing business the right way. 
And as it so relates to restaurant to and delivery, well, we don't have to, we have to keep doing what we're doing. Like we are running this business in the right way. We are being, I think, very strong partners to our restaurants. What we charge our restaurants includes delivery. It's not just a marketplace fee, go deliver your own food. The mm-hmm. vast majority of the business, we are, you know, there's a, there's a pass through to the courier and net of the pass through to the courier, we're making 12%, which I think is very reasonable. And our goals are to make 15%. So the vast majority of the money here goes to the restaurant and goes to the courier, which we think is appropriate. And basically the way we can make money is scaling the business and really, really growing it, which we are. We're investing in it very heavily. So when you're talking about that 12 to getting to 15%, who loses that 3%? And then secondly, the couriers themselves. How do you, because there's been a lot of controversies about tipping and this this and that. And obviously that's what you're talking, that's, that would be the negative thing, the, the equivalent, I think, for yeah, the ride sharing on, problems. On, on, on the tipping side, you know, we, we never took the tips, right? The tips are 100% pass through. And again, there were competitors who were kind of messing around with, with tipping, being part of earnings. Like we never did that. We will. We will not do that. We we actually have have a we introduced the feature where um, the eater can now pay the restaurant directly. Right. If if you just want to help out your local restaurant, you can pay that restaurant directly. That actually hurt our volumes very very slightly. Right. So we actually hurt our own volumes to have more of a pass through to restaurants. We didn't change anything else, but it was the right thing to do at the right time. So. I do believe, listen, can we get better? Yes. But we're building these businesses in the right way. And I think when we have a dialogue with regulators and and you, and, and I think the press will hold everyone accountable, and I think that's a power of the press, and that's a good thing, um, I think people will find that we are one of the good actors. And as we grow this business, we can set a standard that others can follow. What do you say when you talk to restaurant owners? What are your, because they're obviously, this has been now their only business. Um, and you were there, you know, to help them, but some of them are worried about the power you might have over them. That's not, uh, I'll tell you, in the in the discussions that we have with restaurant owners, those aren't the discussions that we have. Uh, they want demand. Uh, we talk about how we can partner up. Uh, we talk about how we can help, but the discussion with restaurant owners hasn't been about consolidation where the industry is going. It's like, hey, what are we doing tomorrow? How much business can we drive tomorrow? How much business can we drive the next day, et cetera? This is like, you know, we're, we're taking this day to day right now, Kara. Right, in terms of dealing with them. When you when you think about post-COVID, when this comes back, are you expecting a much smaller restaurant scene? I mean, everybody, I mean, everybody, what does that do to your business? God, I hope not. Uh, honestly, the, the answer is I, I don't know. Um, we have about 450,000 restaurants or so on the platform. Uh, that number was growing really, really quickly. And then when COVID happened, it kind of took a dip and it flattened out because just some restaurants went offline. Uh, we're seeing restaurants come online. I think, I think that you know, the entrepreneurial spirit that you see with these folks is powerful. I think we underestimate individuals and the ability of these businesses to get back online. My hope is that they will get back online, but I do know on a daily basis they're hurting. And, and my honest answer is, I don't know how this comes back. It's 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 going to take time, and we want to play a constructive part in it. And like every day, we're we're doing our best. And how much of your business do you expect Uber Eats to be going forward? What's your aim? So uh, I think that our rides business is going to be the profit generator for the next two years. But I can see our eats business and grocery being just as big as the rides business going forward just because the category has expanded so much. And, and I'll tell you, that was not my expectation pre-COVID, but you just have had such an acceleration of delivery being a service that's not only accepted, but I think it's going to become more and more than, uh, of the norm. And I think what's interesting about our business is we kind of have a hedge, right? Which is if the world comes back faster than expected and people start getting going again, you can imagine that our uh, food business may not grow quite as quickly. I think it'll still grow, but our rides business is going to come back super fast. If the world is slower in coming back, well, then we've got a food business and a delivery business that is, you know, rocketing, uh, and we'll have a rides business that comes back slower. And I think that we've taken the actions on the cost side to be able to 
survive right now because it's not like good times. I'll be honest about that. But to make it through and then make it through continuing to be a leader and then, you know, continuing to lean forward and really innovate. So I want to uh, the next section I would talk about sort of drivers and healthcare and things like that and the, the struggle that you've had uh, with them. But in this, you had also wanted to push into public transportation quite a bit, and we talked about that. The idea that you put your and that had been rolling out in New York. A lot of these pay, it wasn't Uber, but it was a different thing. Like you pay with your phones. How do you look at that? Because you were like, I could for any transportation Uber. You called yourself a transportation business. Uber was there. How do you look at that business? Uh, people aren't on public transit. They will be on public transit. Yeah, we presumably in a within a year. We very much believe in that business, and and actually now when we talk about our rise business, we call it our mobility business. And the the transit we built up a uh, transit business in the past two years. It's a great team who are true believers. Uh, you know, tra- public transit is is going to continue, and we are, for example, during some of these tough times uh, for the New York subway system, we're providing. Uber rides to make sure that that system is available for folks who are less fortunate between midnight and I think it's 5 a.m. while they are cleaning the subway system. So I I do think that from our standpoint, goodness comes from people moving. We want to be there for any way people move in cities or we also want to move packages in cities. Those are our two core businesses. And we are going to continue to invest in public transit. We'll be a demand generator for them but we'll also be a service provider for them as well, because there's a lot of tech that we're building that we think can help uh, transit agencies. And it's an area that I absolutely believe in. And it's an area that we're building. And you're continuing to invest in absolutely continuing to be the idea that you use an Uber app to use all your public transit. That's where that's one of the parts of it. It's not providing transportation or buses or things. Yeah. in, In this case, we will be a demand generator and, to the extent that we can provide services that provide mobility to folks who are in need cheaper, for example, than public transit agencies can do that, we'll also do that. But it's not, it's, it's, it really is a compliment. And I think that we can be this intelligent layer on top that can help people make the trade-offs between price, availability, time, and just preference as well. Do you see more of an opportunity coming out of this with cities in distress, um, you know, getting people back into public transportation once it is safe? Um, or, you know, it's still there. It's still it's still available. It's just, I used to take it all the time. I walk everywhere an hour. I take an electric bike or something like that. You, sh- you should try a line bike. I have tried a line bike. I've tried a jump bike, not a line bike. Is there a line bike? Yes. Uh, well, the jump bikes, the jump bikes are going to become line bikes. So, uh, oh, it, so it you're going to get rid of the word jump. Jump is gone. The red colored ones, they're kind of unattractive it, looking. It, I would agree. They, by the way, we love the red and it really is up to the no, line like team. The All right. All right. Yeah. There you okay. go. I like decisions so are line bikes. Okay. Yeah, I, I think we'll call them line bikes. Yeah. It really depends on, on, on that team. Yeah, I'm trying out real ones to buy the, the turn and the, yes. this, uh, all the, Cargo bikes. I'm thinking we, of that. I have I have an electric bike in my garage. It's a great way of getting around. Yeah. I, I do think as far as public transit uh, goes, there is going to be a period of time when you're going to have some folks who say, I don't feel safe taking transit, and they will look for alternatives, whether that's private cars, whether that's Uber. And we will be there for them, and we will provide a safe means. But I do think that's going to be temporal. Like at some point, we're going to have a vaccine come out. At some point, we're going to have people feel safe again. Uh, And I think public transit is going to be a big part of how people get around cities. I think it is a necessity. And we want to partner with that. Like ultimately, the, the way I think about Uber's future is movement of people, movement of things in cities. You know, we want to be that local OS, whether or not you're going someplace or you want something delivered to your home. Uh, and we want to be an intelligent layer that's providing our own services, but also providing third-party services too. And lastly, in the in the mobility area, you had talked about vertical lift and takeoff. You had mentioned you had just had an announcement relatively recently that. How do you is that been shelved for now? The we're, idea we're, of these we're kind looking of at, future. Yeah, we're looking at what our options are there. So there's a great team that is that continues to build that tech. Uh, and we are kind of my, my statement to the team is there are no sacred cows. We're going to, I think we've taken the actions right now. We have a great balance sheet and we're going to relook at our portfolio. And that includes VTOL. Like, is it part of the future? Absolutely. Can we partner up or are there other alternatives? We're looking at everything. 
do you think it's a good idea right now? These ideas of how uh-huh. to move people not, around the city, or just not not right now, not today, <laughs> not today. Um, right, right. I, I think it'll it'll take some time. But but listen, you you have to. We are tactically, we are thinking day to day, and we think about our partners, and we think about how to how to help get cities going. But you also have to continue to think three to five uh, years down the line. So you know, it's my job to think about both. Uh, and whether that's VTOLs or ATG or freight or where we take mobility, you have to think short-term and long-term, and I think we've got the capability to do both. All right, we're here with Dara Kostra-Shahi. He is the CEO of Uber. We've been talking about mobility and some of their products. When I get back, I want to talk about where employment is going and also a number of other topics around travel because he certainly has a long history there. We'll be back after this. Here's today's STEM tip. Don't throw out that old plastic bottle. Repurpose it by turning it into an awesome terrarium. Just fill it with sand, pebbles, soil, and your favorite plant. It'll grow sealed right in its own ecosystem. Learn more at She Can STEM. A message from the Ad Council. We're here with Dara Khosrowshahi. He's the CEO of Uber. One of the things that has happened recently is these uh, debates around employees. And this uh, COVID-19 crisis has certainly brought into sharp relief how many people do not have health care, how many people are uh, vulnerable. Um, you had you had been going back and forth with about the designation uh, of what an employee is. Um, California has been pretty tough on Uber uh, and other gig working uh, companies around this. Where do you think the state of things are with AB5 and then around the country? Because I think a lot of people will be revisiting exactly what a worker is going forward. Yeah, and I think that that... Um, revisiting of what a worker is uh, going forward, I think that's entirely appropriate. And, and I do think that we don't believe in the status quo, and we don't think that status quo is is good enough in, based on our society, how we go forward, et cetera. I, I just want to be clear there. Um, and we do believe that a go-forward model where you keep the flexibility that the vast majority of drivers who use the system value the flexibility of earnings above anything else. We do think that there is a go forward model where you retain flexibility. You can work when you want to. You can work on multiple apps. It really is your agenda as to whether you want to work and when and and, and earn. And you've got protections, minimum protections in terms of earnings, protections in terms of of your health, et cetera. So I do think that this is, it's an important debate. I think COVID brings it even more into focus. And we absolutely want to have a dialogue. And it's not a dialogue of, hey, let's not change anything. It is about how do we change going forward? How how do we retain flexibility and provide protections at the same time? I, I think that's the right direction. Where are you with AB5 right now? This is the bill in California that you have been opposing. Um, about what a worker is, essentially. How do you look at that right now? I mean, I think on the on the AB5 side, we don't think it applies to our service as it is today. And we are going to essentially uh, to a vote. Uh, and we think that we're confident of our position. doesn't care that there was actually a, I was looking at a, um, uh, a survey on a site called the Rideshare Guy, it's 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 very much kind of inside baseball on 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 the industry and and has been quite critical of us. And the survey itself was asking drivers who are reading the Rideshare Guy what percentage of them want to be uh, employees, what percentage of them of them don't. Seventeen percent, one seven, said that they actually want to be employees. One seven. Eleven uh, percent actually said don't well, know. So, so like don't. Be fair. Employees as construed the way employees are construed now, which doesn't work in our new new environment. But go ahead. Yeah, listen. If, it's if, employees in, in the traditional sense. But but that is what AB five is seems to be trying to do, which is get people employed in the traditional sense. And all we're saying is that's actually not only a bad answer; it's a bad answer that the vast majority of of our uh, of drivers uh, don't want you know seventy one percent of of drivers who use these systems whether it's us or Lyft want to be independent so the the actual right solution is not everybody's an employee that's a solution that this group does not want this group that is supposedly being protected by the government this group wants independence and what we're saying is we are willing to provide independence 
and protections at the same time. That is the solution going forward. And like, we're here, let's talk. What would you propose? What would what would be, let, beyond let's talk, what would you think you should provide or what or help provide in some way for them? We, we, ha- we have made a proposal that has minimum earnings as part of the proposal, which is when you, when, uh, you sign on to the system, you actually do get minimum earnings and a system that contributes into a portable benefit fund based on, and by the way, this, this fund will be funded by multiple services. It's, it's whatever service you're using, essentially, uh, a fund is, is built up. And that fund is used to give you protections. Uh, and it's not exactly the same, but this is, we're doing this in, for example, UK and France, where uh, there is some room in the law where drivers who, who use the system have the flexibility to use the system whenever they want. But we provide insurance coverage th- through a partner called AXA to protect them uh, if they get sick, if they need maternity leave, if they have an accident, et cetera. So that we think is is a better solution. And we've been actually specific in our proposal uh, and and we will be specific in the ballot box. You get attacked almost constantly around this issue. This is one that persists the way it does with Uber and wrecking, you know, I mean, sorry, Airbnb and wrecking neighborhoods and stuff like that. When do you imagine this will be solved by giving these benefits that where people would have solid health? Or is this a bigger national issue that people need uh, universal health care or an ability not to have to depend if they want to be independent to have some sort of protection, especially in this case around healthcare. But there's all kinds of other benefits. I, I think we are a um, a reflection of of the bigger national issue. You know, the the fact is that you have a very significant vulnerable population in this country, and we are the most wealthy nation out there. And this population doesn't have protections, including basic protections like healthcare, that it's my opinion, they should. Um, as a CEO of the company, I'm going to try to be positive and actually come up with a solution that moves a step in that direction. And that is what we are proposing, uh, because I do think that companies like Uber, all of us have to be part of the solution. But I think this is a bigger societal issue. It's about inequality. Um, it's about healthcare. And I think it's right that it's coming up. Uh, and we do need a change. We absolutely need to change. Are you more uh, inclined towards Medicare for all or some solution like that now after this? I think that the U.S. healthcare um, model costs more than any other country. The outcomes are are worse than many countries out there. Uh, I think we're providing care at the same rate, it looks like, than most countries. But the price for that care is significantly higher than many countries who provide, let's say, governmental health care. Uh, uh, provide like our our prices are out of line. Uh, so whether it's Medicare for all, etc. Honestly, I'm not spending my time. I'm not an expert in that field. But I do think that another way, a broader coverage uh, that results in lower prices, um, which will allow us to essentially spend the same amount and cover many, many more people, and it's a better solution. But that's a that's coming from Dara the the person, not necessarily Dara the CEO, because. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm spending my time on other things right now. Sure, I'm guessing. Um, but I want to stick on this just for a, sure. for a second, because one of the interesting interviews I did recently was with Nicole Hannah-Jones. And she was ta- she's at the New York Times. She did the 1619 Project. And one of the things she said stuck out at me, stuck with me rather for a long time now. And that's the idea of these essential workers, because in a lot of ways, you know, your delivery people are, have been now deemed essential workers. You're, they've been able to operate during this time. Um, the drivers have been deemed essential workers, but we tend to treat them not that way at all when when things are good or when things are not pandemic essentially. And so she called she called a lot of workers, not necessarily Uber drivers, but in general, you know, a lot of people, home health aides, things like that, sacrificial workers. That they become, we have this society of this that these companies have gotten very wealthy upon the labor of others. And I think about this, I, I think a lot of people have been thinking about this a lot. When I was thinking about paying $4 for an Uber a couple of years ago, remember when they were all 40 I was like, this is not what it costs. And who's paying the price here? You have gotten, Uber of the many companies has gotten caught up in this idea of this concept. And I think it's only going to be accelerated going forward. So how do you look at that idea of what an essential worker is and how we need to treat them better 
going forward? Because you're, I, you know, I think it's fair to say you, you've been, you all have been seen as a boogeyman in this fight, right? Or been painted by some, uh, however you want to put it. But how do you repair that idea that it's not just these tech giants winning off of the backs of other people? Yeah, I think it's it, it's not necessarily tech giants. It's it, it's any company, no, right? It's it's, it's, so yeah, right. Uh, it's the the way that I approach it is. It's impossible to tell, in my opinion, who's essential and who's not essential. You know, these are humans. And and I think that it should start with the government and everything will follow, which is people who work should have protections. And that includes minimum earnings and that includes health care. The delivery of Uber rates, et cetera, how much drivers who sign onto the system get paid is very much driven on the market cost of labor in any single market. Uh, and if drivers are, get, are making more, more drivers uh, join the system, utilization goes down and, their f- and effective earnings goes down. So how much a driver makes signing onto Uber really depends on how much labor costs are in, in each market by market, which is why what we've talked about is minimum, minimum earnings above minimum earnings, so to speak, or, or earnings above the, uh, the minimum. So I think this is a bigger societal issue. Uh, I do think it's about uh, health care. I do think it's about minimum earnings, regardless of whether you're essential, you're deemed essential or non-essential. I think it's bigger than that. All right. Speaking of bigger than that, it has to be a bigger thing. How do you assess the government's response? Here's your business is really getting hit. Like, you know, there's some businesses that aren't as much, but how do you communicate with federal, state, government? How, what, what grades would you give each of them? Uh, that you, I know you operate in a lot of places, but California, what, how do you, how do you go with, how do you feel about their response? Yeah, I guess I, I tell you, I'm, I'm not one to, to grade, uh, governments, et cetera. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to earn a decent grade as a, as a, as a CEO. I think California, I think the response by the governor, uh, the quick response, the, uh, has, has been extraordinary. Like it's, they, they, I think, uh, the state has done a really, really good job and kept us safe. And and listen, I know there's a trade-off between opening up and how safe you are. I ascribe to the the Declaration of Independence, right? It's the inalienable rights are life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. And it's in that order. So life comes first, yeah. liberty comes second, pursuit of happiness comes third. And I think the way that the government in California has reacted has been appropriate and in that order. I believe me, I want to open up. I want our business to come back as quickly as possible. I want drivers to be able to earn as quickly as possible. But let's make sure we do it the safe way. And I think the government's done a good job here so far. What about from a federal point of view? What do you want from them? I I think that, um, first of all, from a federal point of view, uh, what I really wanted and and, and I'm happy to say that, that we got was protection for drivers, for couriers, et cetera, as, as far as earnings goes. And I think that was great. Um, and and it was a really strong response from the federal government. I think that any system that is centralized can react to dislocations quickly and more effectively. Uh, and a decentralized system can innovate, can optimize, et cetera, much more effectively over the long term. We are, you know, the, our response has been more decentralized, state by state, especially as it comes to safety. So if there's one thing that I would like is more coordination on the safety front from the federal government, uh, more consistent communication and, you know, setting standards a bit more. But we live in a decentralized system and I have no doubt that three months from now, six months from now, we're going to be in much better shape. It's just the bridge between now and three months where I think in the U.S., because we're decentralized, we are trailing uh, many of the other countries. It's part of our system. Every system has its strengths and weaknesses. Well, it's part of the leadership right now. But you can have hydroxychloroquine if you like. Um, so uh, please don't. Please don't. Thank you. I haven't that tried it yet. I haven't now. tried it yet, and it's not on yeah, the list. Please, please don't. So I want to finish up talking about two things. Cities, what happens to cities? Scott Galloway and I are having a big debate over what happens. Uber's business is about cities, Very really. So, you yeah. don't do a ton of rural business. He's talking about the idea that people won't live in cities, that they will be moving away in ways. And interestingly, Brian Chesky last night talked about the idea that people will be living in 
lots of places, maybe moving more frequently, and 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 that their business has to shift from cities because he's a city's business also, or he ha- they have been. If that is the trend, and I have do not agree with this, but what do you do as a business with Uber? Because you're a city's business. Airbnb is a city's business. Are you worried about the decline of cities or the or the population, or or do they move to smaller cities that you then serve? I I am more in your camp, Kara. I think that uh, people like people. People, you know, we we're going to have a bunch of young employees. We're going to make sure that they're safe, but they're going to want to get back to work. That doesn't mean everybody, but I think that there's um, this. The, the new world after a vaccine, after safety has been established, is going to look a lot like the old world because we are social animals. I do think that there are certain cities where the cost of living, like a San Francisco, is too high and makes it truly difficult uh, for people to you know, have a quality of life other than if they work for technology companies like ours. I do think that where the cost of living has gotten to a certain point, um, you are going to have adjustments. So it'll be cities and surroundings. I think every single company is going to be more flexible in terms of allowing people to work from home, whether it's it's uh, partial uh, or or some some version of it. But I what don't is think yours? yours is partial. Yeah, I, yours will be partial, correct? I think I think ours will be partial because the the kinds of employees that we have. Listen, we've got technology employees, lots and lots of engineers who can code from anywhere. But we also have a lot of people in green light hubs. You know, there's there's a physical connectivity and an on the ground mm-hmm. uh, side of our business. With drivers, uh, yeah. So so those employees will get back to work. We're going to make sure that they're safe. Uh, so I think cities are here to stay um, and. I do think that our business is going to come back when cities do. Now, do I? The fastest growing part of our business has been the suburbs, right? So, if you look at New York City, for example, the New York suburbs and the and um, you know a Queens, uh, a Brooklyn, etc. Those parts of our business have been growing much much faster than Central Manhattan, and I do think that that pattern is going to continue. So, we're going to go from a city's business to more of a cities and surroundings business. And I think that can be a totally fine thing for a business. Okay. And then lastly, I want to talk about travel. You had a, a long history at Expedia yes. and travel, the travel industry. Talk about, you wouldn't want to be running an airline right now, I'm assuming. Most definitely and, not. Uh, I know Uber was into airlines for a, <laughs> for a New York minute there. Uh, I think you took them out of them. Talk a little bit about the travel industry, because what what happens to it going forward? You know, interestingly, another thing Brian said that was interesting is that people are going to travel closer to home and do. That's why they're doing a lot of experiences and they're going to rent longer term. That's they're seeing a longer term rental of people wanting to get out of the city and be in Vermont or wherever. And then the, and then also trying to turn other cities that are closer. Interesting. He was like, we're going to try to make Pittsburgh like Paris. And I'm like, good Fucking luck on that one. But how do you how do you look at the travel business? I mean, if you were running Expedia right now, or what do you do? What do you you know? I've tried to think of a job harder than yours and Brian's, but I think the travel business, I think the airline or the or selling travel would be very hard. Yeah, right Expedia now. has a new CEO, Peter Kern, and I and I do think that he's got a yeah. he's got a tougher job than than I do. But I I think he's he's a perfect person to run that company. By the way, I, I think that. Travel's going to come back, but I totally agree with Brian, who's in the middle of it, which is you're going to have a higher percentage of drive business. And there's and there's a really big market out there. Listen, like people love planes and jets. They're sexy. They look cool, et cetera. There are millions and hundreds of millions of people who drive. uh, And I think that you're going to have a period for a year or two years where in markets that are drive markets, the U.S., in Europe, et cetera, you're going to have a lot more driving and people still are going to want to get out of the house. They're still going to want to see new things, et cetera. And over a period of time, but I do think it's going to take a while. You know, it'll be measured in years, not months. I think air travel will come back. But I think this is a pretty big hit that travel has taken. The nature of travel will change. How do you bring 
air back. How do you, I can see the drive part, but how do you bring, you know, you can talk all you want about Disney. They'll open, they'll figure something out there, masks and cleaning and lines, line management and things like that. Um, but how do you look at air travel? Because that really is, you know, uh, I, I'm thinking of getting on a plane and I'm like thinking hard. It's a really, yeah. I, I, I want to come out to San Francisco. How do you, how would you manage that as, you know, if you were at Expedia, you're trying to get people to buy tickets. What's the way out? I, Just wait? I think the front line is is with the airlines. And I think the good news as it relates to the airlines is that I don't think that's it, that there's any industry on earth who thinks about and has built systems as it relates to safety that are equal to the airline business. It, it's like they think about safety all the time. And there was no safer way to travel. I think it will take years to get back and it's really going to be difficult for them. But these folks know how to how to do safe travel. Um, and then it'll be up to the ecosystem. It'll be up to the Expedia's and the companies themselves to communicate what that means. And, and listen, we're thinking about the same thing. Like it's it's when you get in an Uber, it's that second first trip. How do you feel about that second first trip? Do you feel safe? And once mm -hmm. once you do like I think, Gary, once you take that flight, you're going to be like, hey, this is OK. You know, I'm going to. Yeah. And I think yeah. the yeah. it's interesting, the, the travel lust, like it's, it's, it's too strong. So people aren't going to stay home. You know, I can't wait to get the hell out of here. I love my family, but yeah, I got to get out of here. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, I'm not the yeah. only ones yeah. who feel that way. And, and you know, humans are going to so, be humans. So when you market. When you market your way out of it, aside from the really, they put together a whole bunch of marketing around uh, COVID that then showed them all together. You guys did a very unusual one. It's like, don't use our business. It was like, <laughs> please don't get in a car. Stay home. Try not to. It's sort of. I was sort of. I was sort of like that's like a like a like a, a soda company saying we're bad for you. We're just bad. You shouldn't be drinking our drinks. What's your marketing coming out of this? Like that, that was, that was an unusual choice, by the way. I almost I wrote think, you like, I, what? I, I think it was a brave choice. I, I think it was a brave choice. I, I can tell <laughs> okay. you when, when I, I wouldn't have bought any when, when, I, when I first, when I first uh, got that pitch by the marketing team, uh, my reaction was, was not, you know, game on, let's do it. It's, it, but, but I think it was a brave choice. It, it was saying that our responsibility first is with our community and with our city and the way that all of this gets better depends on like people making sensible choices. And and I do think that it was, I'm proud of that work. And if I am, and if we are to redefine the culture of this place, it means more than talking about it and doing things that might hurt the business that are good for cities that we live in or are good for, for drivers, careers, et cetera. And that means action. It doesn't mean like saying nice things and platitudes. So. Right. We're going to now run a different campaign that's all about safety, which okay. is which is okay. uh, get out there, but, so but get like, out there safely. You won't die. It's probably, wear masks. So wash your like, hands. You probably won't die. <laughs> wash your hands. Likely you won't die. You know, I can, can I get you? But you'll get there. Can I get you together with our marketing folks? Because <laughs> I'd really like you no, brainstorming with them. Mine would be. It's unlikely you'll die. You could, but you'll get there. That would be my marketing. Okay, I'm, I'm going to, you asked me to grade if the government. you have nowhere to go. You, you asked me to grade the government. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to grade you. That, that's F, a fail F, on as far as marketing F, goes. Yeah. Listen, it's, it's. Also, you have nowhere to go. You can't go to churches. You can't go to the concerts. So just stay home. That's well, that's because you don't I'm live I'm not in, a good market. That's because you're, you're not a good Texan care. So there are places to go in certain states. Yes, and I'm not going to those states yet for quite a bit of time. But state. let me ask you the last question. As CEO, you came into this business, this particular company, a lot of cleanup, big mess, facing a lot. You know, I, I imagined you opened every drawer and there was a dead body in it. That's what I always <laughs> say about, you know, like, oh, that, oh, we killed him. Uh, uh, there were a lot uh, of great people. What is, what, there are a lot of great people. Yes. And now this. So when does it get good for you? My honest answer is, I, I, I don't know. Like people ask me, hey, are you having fun? And I say, no, but I wouldn't trade this for the world. Yeah. Like th this is this is an okay. important company. Like th this is it's we're building really, really cool tech. Um, it affects real lives. The decisions that we make matter. Um, and this is a company that's going to define how cities are going to move over the next five to 10 years. So I would not trade my place for anything. Uh, it is a really tough job. It's a challenging job. 
And, uh, you know, I love it. All right. If you had to give one piece of advice, my final question, I'm asking everybody this, to a CEO in this post-COVID period, and we're not post-COVID, by the way, we're mid-COVID, but what would you say? What is the thing that you they, they have to keep in mind as a leader? I just think at this point, you can't lead in these kinds of moments by, you know, um, bottoms up. Like this is the time for leaders to, to lead uh, and make tough decisions uh, and make decisions like, you know, our marketing campaign for a while that said, that, that, that said you know, don't ride. Um, this is the time when leaders get to define what it means. And I think you got to be bold. You've got to be brave uh, because average isn't going to get you through. All right. Thank you, Dara Kostra-Shahi. We really appreciate you coming on, and we hope you can get out of your house at some time soon. You sound like you really need it. I am looking forward to my next Uber ride. I will wear a mask. Thank you for coming on the show. You can follow me on Twitter at Kara Swisher. My executive producer, Eric Anderson, is at Eric America. My producer, Eric Johnson, is at HeyHeyESJ. Dara, where can people find you online and Uber? Uber.com. Uber.com. And where about you? You're at DH, what is it? on Twitter if they want to complain to you. Oh, uh, at DKOS, at D-K-H-O-S. All right. If you like this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you shared it with a friend. And make sure to check out our other podcasts, Pivot, Reset, Recode Media, and Land of the Giants. Just search for them in your podcasting app of choice or tap a link in the show notes. Thanks also to our editor, Joel Rabe. Special thanks to Squadcast.fm. Thanks for listening to this episode of Recode Decode. I'll be back here on Wednesday. Tune in then. HBO Max brings all of HBO to your fingertips, plus an epic list of new Max originals. Whether you're into animation, classic movies, or binge-worthy series, HBO Max's suggested collections are curated by real humans, not robots, so you find the right thing to watch every time. With thousands of options for you and the family to choose from, it's the streaming platform of your dreams. HBO Max, where HBO needs so much more. Start streaming now at hbomax.com. Hold up. 